Okay, we're not here to talk about haircuts or Chick-fil-A. We're here to talk about Zephaniah. All right, are y'all ready to dig into God's Word? I'm, I'm so excited to share this with you. Zephaniah chapter 2. Going through this, we looked at chapter 1 last week. I'm excited to look at chapter 2 with you. And the title of the message is The Kindness of the Word Before. So if you want a title, the title of the message is The Kindness of the Word Before. Would you do this? Would you stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word? Let's look at his text, chapter 2. Chapter 2. By the way, I was wondering, what is this thing in my pocket here? It's one of our ping pong balls. And we're still doing this, but uh, however, I will need your help. Because I walked in this morning and looked at how many gospel shares we had. Like from last week, I didn't get to count. And it seemed like we had like 50 gospel shares. And that's not accurate. So, uh, you know, someone, some mischievous people. Uh, you have, so if you see that, please don't let people throw ping pong balls around in that thing. We're trying to keep an accurate count. But that's... I just discovered I had it in my pocket. Let's look at the text. The prophet Zephaniah speaking to Judah, the southern kingdom. Here's what he says through the inspiration of God. Gather together. Yes, gather. Oh, shameless nation. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chafe, Before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord. Before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. For Gaza shall be deserted and Ascalon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's People shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastures with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah, on which they shall graze, and in the houses of Ascalon they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. I heard the taunts of Moab and the revelings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom. And the Ammonites, like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them for he will famish all the gods of the earth and to him shall all bow each in its place, all the lands of the nations. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword. 
Verse 13. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst. All kinds of beasts, even of fowl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation shall be on the threshold. From the cedar work will be laid bare. The exultant city will live that lives securely. That said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become. A lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fists. Let's ask his blessing over the word. We need your help to look at what this text means to the original recipients. What this text can apply to us today. And how we can see pointing this towards the good news. Help us to capture your intent from the scriptures. And God's people said, Amen. So the title of the message today is the kindness, the kindness of the word before. So there's many great words in the Bible. One of the words that we all love is the word but. But God, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the word but is a great word in the scripture, but also that word before can be. And look at it in verse 2. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chafe, What he's talking about in the text is Babylon is coming for the southern kingdom of Judah. This is going to happen. All of their rebellion from their former kings, all the rebellion through Manasseh. Now we're in Josiah. It's coming. But yet, yet in God's kindness, he says there's a remnant there that may not experience the full judgment of God that he's going to use Babylon when he comes on Judah. Someone asked yesterday, uh, I believe it was yesterday when we were, um, before we had um, had our men's breakfast, we had a great time. I'd encourage you men, come in, come to that if you've missed that. Great time of discussion yesterday. And um, someone had said, was there ever any godly, I mean, we see all this judgment on Israel, on their kings and everything. Like, was there ever any godly people? We have like godly King Hezekiah, Josiah. Was there any, the common, the people? And yeah, you'll actually see it in the text today. There was a remnant. But the kindness of God is all over this in this. Babylon's coming and the Lord is still trying to extend mercy upon mercy upon mercy of warning the remnant of Judah and saying, listen, before the decree takes effect, before Babylon comes, before before you're blown away, before destruction comes to you personally, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, Babylon being used as God's instrument of judgment for their rebellion and idolatry, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, before, 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 three times in verse 2 he mentions it. Why would he do that? The kindness of God. You know, people who read the old... Uh, uh, let me take this back. People who cherry pick stuff out of the Old Testament and go, I don't like this God. He's a moral monster. What I would tell you is you haven't really read your Old Testament. You cherry pick stuff and you come to a conclusion about the character of God in the Old Testament like he's the like he's the like he's the angry uncle and then he grows up in the New Testament. That's what people think about God. But God's character sustains is the same all the way through. And the reason people don't have an accurate view of the character of God is they cherry pick. 
You read the text of the Old Testament in context through and consistently, and you'll discover no amount of judgment that God brings on anybody is undeserved. And before he ever brought it, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, so many befores. No one can claim before the Lord on the day of judgment ignorance. Like if you're online and you're listening to this and you're like, man, I, I just don't think that. I'm going to tell you, friend, you're wrong before. By the way, what a great thought. Before. Before. Like if you're thinking, okay, I have never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I don't have eternal life, Nick. I've never done that. I've put it off. I've put it off. I've put it off. Is there any kindness for me? Yeah, there is right now. Before it's too late. If you're actually listening to this message this is your before. This is your verse two. What kindness that God would say the word before. By the way, even for God's people, the word before is a beautiful, kind word. Such as, stop flirting with your coworker before. Stop getting into the chat room with someone that's not your spouse before. Stop looking up your past boyfriend or girlfriend on some kind of social media and thinking you're innocently friending them before. For God's people, before can even be a beautiful word. That word of, of warning. Have you ever been there? Have we ever been there? Have you ever experienced this? Where it's like this before kind of happens. Where God, even in his kindness, kind of warns you as you're trying to, as you're trying to chase after some kind of sin. So before is a beautiful word. It's a kind word. That's verse 2. Before. Now, as we look at our text and we see the kindness of God's word before, I have an outline. If you're a person that's wanting to use an outline, here's three points we're going to make today. We're going to look at the preparation of those that see the kindness of God's before, the preparation. Number two, we're going to see the actions of those that see the kindness of God's before and the example of those that, number three, that will not see the kindness of God's before. The preparation of those that see the kindness of God's before, the actions of those that see the kindness of God's before and the example of those that will not see the kindness of God's before. First, I want to look at verse 1. The preparation of those that see the kindness of God's before. Look in verse 1. Gather together. Yes. What does it say? Gather. Now, why would he mention this twice? Because there's something special about gathering. You want, to, you want to get a, a glimpse of the kindness of God's before gathering. He calls them as a nation. He says the remnant. He says the people that like gather. If you'll gather, gather. Let me just tell you. This is what I love about this season of COVID. It has taught us the essential nature of gather. Online, if you're, there's, if like you're listening to this Wednesday night, and, and let me tell you, you are vulnerable until you get to gather again. Um, now listen, there's some people that are just waiting for the vaccinations and, and you're just like around the corner, but I'm, I'm talking to that person who it's not a vaccination issue. It's like none of that. It's just, you've gotten into a bad habit and pattern. Let me tell you, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to not get God's before when you don't gather. I'm going to tell you when we're not gathering as God's people, I'm telling you, this is this is so essential what we do here when we gather as God's people. In fact, I've already, you know, the elders know I've been talking to them quite a bit. 
I intend for even our gatherings to look a lot different in the future. Um, and, and here's what I mean. This is, uh, I've already talked to a lot of people about this, and, but this, it's, it's, it hasn't left my heart. And now I'm, I'm almost convinced it's more essential. One of the things I've, I've just detested about how church works is it almost is like a movie theater experience. I come at a certain time, I sit down, I get something, and then I leave. And that just makes me want to puke. Like God's gathering of his people has got to mean a little bit more than that. Even the scripture, it means a little bit more than that. So you probably notice every week we've been taking communion. Then you've noticed this, we have this edified time. That's not just some piddly time just to kind of like, that's actually, I believe, a scriptural precedent that God's people have got to edify each other. But even this, I'm even more convinced that gathering looks more than a movie theater experience where I've told our elders, once I, once I see that anybody that wants to get a vaccine can, I even want our church to change what our Sundays look like. Like, I want our church to have this idea of, I mean, I want it to be like, when you show up for Sunday, it's like we're meeting with family. And it's like, it's like a family union every week, and it's a gathering, which means I want us to be eating lunch together every single week. That's what I want. I want us to, here's what, here's what I want for the future. Now, you may be like, oh, I do not like that. What do you want, a movie theater experience? Is that what you want? You can get that, but God's people have got to gather. And so here's what I'd love to see us in the future. Why do you see us doing edify and communion? Because I want to see a vision for the future where part of our normal worship service is that we would have a meal and, and, and we would fellowship with each other. And then over that meal, we would have a time to do our edifying and then take the Lord's Supper. Did you know when they took the Lord's Supper in the scriptures, it was wrapped around a meal? It was a way to slow down. Have you ever felt like you kind of, like you came in church and you walked out and like no one knew you existed? Because I think the way the church is set up, it's just a gathering. And by the way, it's not anybody, well, it is a lot of people's fault. I think it's our fault as church leaders. We have made this a consumer product. And what I love is this season has the angst that was already in my soul about how a church gathers, it just grew itself anymore. I mean, it just grew itself even more than that. And the vulnerability that I've seen people who haven't been able to gather is even like burden my soul. I'm convinced that even some of the godliness that God's people sometimes aren't able to pursue it's because they're not really gathering with their people. I'm just going to tell you, I don't have enough in me to be, to be everything for you in a 40-minute message. Okay, 45-minute message. Okay, 50-minute, 51. 51 and 30-second message. Can't do it. Or my 20-minute one at Christmas Eve, right? Just can't do it. What do we need? You also need God's people. You need to be having conversations every Sunday. The Holy Spirit, you... You as God's people, when we come in here and gather, it's got to be the expectation that, God, who would you let me talk to today? Who do I not know? You know, the most, uh, our church is not a very large church. Y'all get this, right? Y'all understand this? Our church isn't a very large church. And it ought not to be the fact where if you've been coming here a year and someone else is coming in here and, and like someone says their name and you go like, I have no idea who that is. Because if that only happens when a church isn't really gathering. Does that make sense? Now, here's why I'm telling you all this. You're like, wow, Nick, come on. You're still in verse 1. Here's why. The kindness of God's before. 
you've got to gather. You've got to gather. I have seen this year multiple conversation of those who have fallen away from Christ because they don't have that grace in their life. Listen, I'm vulnerable. If I don't gather with my church, here's the great thing is, for some reason I have to be here every Sunday, right? I mean, for, I, just, I get no option to not be. But for anybody that hasn't been doing that, there's a vulnerability in their life that they're being picked off one by one from discouragement through sin. So here's what we see. He says, Judah, gather together, gather together. Like, do this emphatically. In fact, this will be a part of you getting the before, the kindness of God's before. Now, keep looking at verse 1. Oh, shameless nation. What is he doing when he says, oh, shameless nation? He's talking to Judah. He's saying, you sinful nation, you've run into sin and idolatry. Even this, when people gather as God's people, we celebrate the good news. But like we said last week, you don't appreciate the good news till you know the bad news. And one of the things about gathering as God's people is it ought to be a place where you can confess sin, that you are confronted with your sin, that at times you would sing songs about repentance. You would pray prayers of repentance. You, I mean, like here's one of the things that I detest about the way us church leaders have made church. We have made church this thing that's supposed to fill your tank to a way that like you don't come out of here with any kind of conviction. That's what we've done. We've made it to where... Um, we, do you ever notice this? Let I me mean, just do this. Go home and, and Google the top 10 worship songs out right now, right? And I'll guarantee you not one of them is about any kind of conviction of sin in life, right? Not one of them is helping people realize there's this necessity of the before, the kindness of God's before. Are y'all tracking with me? You understand what I'm saying? This is why gathering is so important, because there is a conviction of sin. This is why we take communion, is we were reminded that we're sinners, reminded that the wrath of God has been turned from our sin. Like, we've got to be reminded. So we find this. There is preparation. Preparation. For us, for Judah, he said, this is how you can prepare yourself to enjoy the kindness of God's before for his people. Gather together. Be convicted over sin. Preparation. That's point one. And my encouragement, if, if you're online, hey, some are online, you're waiting for your vaccine, I totally get it. Um, I'm supposed to have my, my second shot of Pfizer this next week. Um, but outside of you protecting yourself for security reasons, I would say this, like, get yourself back in the gathering of God's people. And for the rest of us, prepare yourself. I... I've been, I have been in our elders' ears about how we'd like to see the difference in our church. And it's been like, man, you mean like we're not going to get out of here that quick? Maybe not. Like, and let me just tell you, I don't care anymore. I just don't care. Like, I'm tired of the way church looks. I'm tired of my people getting vulnerable. Y'all get, you get the angst of my soul. Like, I, I, it's hurting people. I want it to be when you come to Colorado Bible Church you're meeting with family. You get encouraged in the Lord. You can confess to the Lord. It's not, it's not a quick process. And you're like, oh, you mean like, you mean people, I mean, like we might have to do work? Like we might have to have, like bring a crock pot thing? Like, yeah. What's so bad about that? You're going to eat lunch anyways. Do you want to go out to eat and spend 60 bucks or fix something for 20 bucks? You might be going like, man, that's too much for my life. I just can't do that. Like, great. Here's the great thing. When the love feast happened in the Bible, it was all about sharing. In fact, God judged the church for not sharing. The, 
the wealthy. We're not sharing the, the, the food resources with the poor. So I would say this, if you're kind of like, man, I'm a single mom. All I got is enough grace to even get here. I mean, we're like coming in here. I'm throwing Cheerios at my kids' faces. We're walking in like, this is all I got. Great. Just come. We're going to make plenty, right? I know how to crock pot it, all right? I know how to take like three bags of chicken nuggets and throw it in a crock pot and do it. Like, I'll have plenty for you. I know how to make a monstrous amount of macaroni and cheese, right? And the stuff I make is good, right? Any of y'all have my macaroni and cheese, right? Trust a portly cook. Prepare yourself by gathering. Prepare yourself. This helps you to see your sin when you gather with people in this way. And by the way, the, the fact that they're gathering, oh, shameless nation, it means that there's some repentance going on. They're confessing, looking. That's a normal thing. So normal thing that sometimes before you take communion at church, you might have to look over to your kid and go, will you forgive me? I sinned against God. I sinned against you. I yelled at you today in sinful anger. That might be normal thing. That might be normal that you have someone in the body that you have held bitterness over that you have to walk over during the love feast and go, can you and I go step outside and I've got to confess. Let's get this right, brother. Yeah. But that's part of gathering. That's part of what happens. God's people. So there's preparation for enjoying God's before. The kindness of God's before. Now let's look at verse 3. The actions of those that enjoy God's before. The actions of those that enjoy God's before. God's kindness of before. Look in verse 3. So evidently there was those that in Israel that um, were going to enjoy it in We have the preparation, but we also have the actions. Look at verse 3. Those that tend to enjoy the kindness of God's before. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do this, his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden in the day of the anger of the Lord. So in verse 3, there is a remnant of people in Judah who are walking in this kind of the before kindness of God. They are repenting. But notice the difference. Not only would they gather and see the conviction of their sin, but look in verse 3. They are seeking the Lord. You know, one of the things that, that the Lord, and I've shared this with you, I keep sharing it again, I am conv- I'm convinced that God's people are not in the word like, like, like God wants us to. And you, we will enjoy God's kindness of his before when you're in his word that's how you actually convict of sin but then get encouraged in him refocus your soul and not chase the idols of life seeking the lord how is our seeking the lord by the way this is why this chronology one year chronology bible study I, i keep trying to kind of chant and encouraging everybody have some kind of bible study method every single day because this is part of getting the before i guarantee you do this. Just try me. Test me. Take some time in God's word every single day in a disciplined manner and see if things aren't different for you than what the month before when this thing was just being dust. If you want to experience the kindness of God's before your life, you got to seek the Lord. This is what they were doing. They were seeking the Lord. They were in verse three. It says who do his just commands. The people who tend to obey God are the ones who tend to seek God. And one of the ways we seek him is his word. And you might go like, I seek him in prayer. Great. I will tell you this. If you really want to see your prayer life maximized, mix these two together. In fact, the most praying people are usually word people. 
And in fact, what's so great is sometimes you're praying Scripture. And in fact, the reminder of Scripture. My, my time every morning in the Scriptures is that kind of fuel that helps me to even pray. And I find myself praying along with it. Seek the Lord. These are the actions of people who get to experience the kindness of God's before. But also look at this. They seek it with humility. What is humility? It's where life really isn't just about, it isn't about you. That's humility. A humble person is a person who, their daily thoughts are not, what are you doing for me? Their daily thoughts aren't, well, well, my spouse should be doing this for me, or my friend should be doing this for me. Their thoughts are really not even about themselves. It's basically about glorifying God and how they can serve others. It's kind of what I love back in the day when we all got to go into Chick-fil-A, and you'd say, thank you, and they'd say, it's my what? Pleasure, right? I missed that, okay? I hope they, I hope they put a big southern draw with that the next time they open up the inside of the, all the Chick-fil-A's. This is what humility does. Now, I'll tell you, humility doesn't come accidentally. It comes on purpose. It's the seeking. When you seek the Lord, then all of a sudden life isn't about you anymore. All of a sudden it's like, let me give my time and my effort and my energy. When, when, when life is humble, it's like you come home at the end of the day and you don't see your kids as a distraction. You see them as an opportunity. You don't see dirty dishes as something to, to like it's an opportunity to serve. Instead, what a lot of us do when we come home is we try to think, how can I best satisfy myself at this moment? That's why, that's why, and I'm, and it's, by the way, I say this all the time, but it's not wrong to play video games. I'm still, I'm just telling you, if you're a grown man and you come through the door and you go into your room and you play a video game system before you spend time with your kids, how dare you? How dare you? Like, please, for the sake of, of your family, and I'm telling you, your wife will love it. <laughs> Put it away for a little bit. And when you're going to play it, like do it intentionally, not just flippantly. This is what happens. People who are, have the actions of the kind of people that experience the, the kindness of God's before, they're seeking the Lord. And you see this humility. They, they're seeking the Lord. Shows that they'll start to obey the Lord. And then you'll see this humility. Even in one of the ways that I think is so. One of the hardest ways to obey the Lord. In my view. Is there's this idea of fighting sin. But then there's this idea of like discipling people. And going out and like trying to spread the good news. And following up with those. That takes so much time and energy. And, and it's just kind of be laborious. And sometimes it's embarrassing. It's, it's not convenient. But I've noticed this, when I'm seeking the Lord, I obey that command. And when I'm seeking the Lord and obeying that command, there's a humility that comes in that where it's like I don't, I don't actually regret it. When I go out to the harvest or when I decide to go, you know what, I'm in a hurry, but I'm going to stop right now. And if it takes an hour with this person, I'm going to talk to them about the good news. All of a sudden, like the Lord delivers me from that selfishness and puts me in that humility. But it takes the actions of seeking the Lord. Do, y'all get, do we get that? This is the kindness, experience in the kindness of God's before. He's telling Judah, I want you to have it. So prepare yourselves by gathering and taking a good fresh look at your sinfulness. And, and then for some of you, you're going to seek the Lord. When you seek the Lord, you're going to experience this grace. Now look at the end of verse 3. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day that anger the Lord. So if you're taking notes, you can read back sometime in 2 Kings 25, 12 and 2 Kings 24, 
verse 14 through 16, 2 Kings 25, 12, 2 Kings 24, uh, 14 through 16, is there actually were some people that did verse 3. There actually were some that experienced the kindness of God's before. There were some that when Babylon came, they left the poor of the land and they let them stay there and kind of keep cultivating it in some ways. And then, anybody ever read the book of Daniel? You, you find that also that Babylon took some of the uh, some of the aristocratic, kind of some of the high, the high educated, and carted them off to Babylon. But in Babylon, there was some benevolent treatment of them. You start seeing even what Daniel and his friends and. There's this resurgence in the Jewish community that happens in Babylon where actually they don't even worship idols anymore. Funny, they're in a place that worships idols, but they kind of, they kind of, kind of, they stop all that idolatry mess by and large and whole and start worshiping the one true God. Like there's this kindness of God for some of these people that get deported to Babylon, they get to stay in the land. What is that? Those are the people in this text that experienced the kindness of God's before. They heard what God said. Perhaps you may be hidden in the day of God's anger. God's anger was turned against them. They didn't suffer some of the terrible treatment that happened when Babylon comes and conquers. And so they get it. But their actions were there. So we see the preparation in verse 1 of those that see the kindness of God's before. The actions. Now let's look at the rest of the chapter. Look in verse 4. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, and actually verse 4 through 15 is all one point. We now get the example of those that will not see the kindness of God's before. You're right? There's a group. Here's the Okay, hold your place there in Zephaniah, and I just want you to look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. By the way, also good to see you today because you all lost one hour of sleep Last night. Did anybody last night at about 9 o'clock think, oh, wait a minute. It's 9 o'clock, but it's really 10 o'clock. But it's really 11 o'clock. Anybody think that? <clears throat> it's discouraging. But that's okay. I've got good news for you here in a little bit. But first, got to give you some bad news. Let me point something out to you. By the way, this is why you want to read your Bible. Like, we've been reading through uh, the one-year chronology reading. If you've been reading through me, uh, with me, we're in Deuteronomy now. And what he talks about here in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 14, if you know the background of this because you've been reading the, you've been reading the first five books of the Old Testament, you kind of have some of this, this already. I, can't, I don't have time to explain all that. But here's what I do want to point out to you. He talks about, some of the things that happened to Israel in the first five books. And then look what it, he says. Look over here in verse 6. Now these things took place as examples to us. These things that when Israel did not seek the Lord. When Israel was not humble. When Israel gave in to their sin. When Israel didn't obey the laws of God. When they didn't obey the Mosaic commands for them being in the land. When, when they did not obey the Lord coming into the land at Mount Sinai. But look what it says in verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us. That's us today. We might not desire evil as they did. 
Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Now you can go back to Zephaniah. What I want to point to is this. The Old Testament scriptures point us to Jesus in so many ways, but also don't get don't miss that the Old Testament scriptures also remind us of God's character and what's happened when there's an unrepentant people. And so even when we see what God has done right, in his judgment, it's meant as an example to warn us that this is a holy God. Now here's what happens. We get over here in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 4 through 15. And Zephaniah transitions from Judah to talking about the rest of the nations. West, east, north, and south nations around Judah. He now talks about the judgment that's coming on them. There is no kindness of God's before. None of them are going to see the kindness of God's before. These are all the pagan nations surrounding Judah. Let's take a look at it. And, and by the way, here's what I, here's what I think in the text. God is telling this them about this. Because remember, who's he writing to? Judah. He's not writing to these kingdoms on the east or these kingdoms on the west or the north or the south in this text. This is to God's people, Judah. But yet he's telling Judah as an example of, listen, they're not repentant. Look what I'm doing to them. Take heed to this, please. Take heed to the kindness of God's before Preparation, action, but also the example of what I'm doing to all the other nations that have rebelled against the Lord. Let's take a look at it. Verse 4. He first starts with west. He goes west. For Gaza, he mentions basically west of Judah is the land of the Philistines. And he mentions their land west. These people are not going to experience God's before. He says, for Gaza shall be deserted. And Ascalon shall become a desolation, and Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon. Which, by the way, when you're driven out at noon, that usually wasn't the time that you attacked. You usually didn't attack in the middle of the day in the Middle East because that was kind of a hot time. But he's just saying, you're going to be so surprised. The Philistines are going to be so surprised about what God's going to do when he judges them. It's going to be like being attacked in the noontime. And Ekron shall be uprooted. Four of the five major Philistine cities, he says, Desertion, desolation, driven out, uprooted. It's coming on you. Judah, these people are not experienced the kindness of God's before. They have rebelled. I'm warning you. Look, keep looking at verse 5. He continues on. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast. That's where the Philistines were on the west side of Judah, on the seacoast. You nation of the Cherethites. This would be still pointing towards these Philistines. The Philistines originally came from Crete, an island just west, uh, just on the west in the Mediterranean. They migrated in. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you until there is no inhabitant left. He says... Nothing's going to be left of you. You'll be judged. There's no kindness for you. Judah, listen to what I'm saying. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastors with meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. When Babylon comes in and when the poor left in the land, the poor get to go over and cultivate some of this Philistine land. That's, that's part of what God's doing. There's no grace for these Philistines anymore. Verse 7. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah on which they shall graze. These remnants that Babylon lives, leaves there in the land. And the house of Escalon, they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their 
fortunes. If you even look, um, for those of you doing the one-year chronology reading, we're going to be getting into, not in not too distant future, we'll get into like judges and we'll get into the kings. We'll get into uh, Samuel and David. And, and all, they were always at war with the Philistines and won a lot of battles, but ultimately the Lord's going to win the final battles against the Philistines. There's no before. There's no kindness of God's before for them in this text. It's a warning to those who would be stiff-necked and unrepentant, unwilling to gather, unwilling to repent of their sin, unwilling to seek the Lord. Look in verse 8. So he talks to, about the west side of Judah, which actually, if you're looking at me, would be this side, right? Now the east side. Let's go to the east side. He's going all around the globe here. I've heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites. Now they're on the east side of Judah. Now it's interesting. The Moabites and the Ammonites. Does anybody remember who is their forefather? Lot. Lot. Nephew of Abraham, the children of Israel. So there's some relation here. But, but yet these are a people that instead of embracing Judah, they had a very non-benevolent disposition towards them. And so he says, you Moabites and Ammonites that come from Lot, from, this in, from the incest that happened from Lot and his daughters, you Moabites and Ammonites, you've taunted my people. There is no kindness of God's before for you. Is, Judah, I want you to observe this. Remember, God's not speaking to the Moabites or Ammonites in this text or the Philistines in this text. He's speaking to God's people, but yet as an example for God's people, he's showing them and warning them. He says, they've taunted you. There's no kindness of God's before for them. How they have taunted my people. They've made boast against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah. What, what kind of, you understand, they kind of would have understood that because where did the Moabites and the Ammonites come from? They came from, remember, Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. Lot, Lot vacates. His wife returns to a pillar of salt. And you could take them out of Sodom, but you couldn't take Sodom out of he and his daughter's hearts. And the, the Moabites and Ammonites come from that incestuous union. It, by the way, if you're wondering, side note, online, if you're watching this and you're kind of like, I don't know about this Bible stuff, just a bunch of made up stuff. The Bible is very raw in what it talks about. If you are trying to make up something, why would you make something up like, God rescues Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah and then incest? Like, why would you... Like, put that in the Bible, right? And go like, oh, we're just, you Christians just got together and made this up. Well, if you did that, you did a terrible job making up the Bible. Like, I could have done a much better job. It's raw because it's real. God didn't hide the depravity of man. That was free. It'll be a land possessed by nettles and salt pits, a waste forever. So basically, he says, Judah, the Moabites and the Ammonites... They're going to, their land is going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Before it started, it's going to be what it was before with Lot, where he lived. There's no kindness for them of God's before. He says in verse 9, The remnant of my people shall plunder them. The survivors of my nation shall, shall possess them. You'll, you'll overcome them in the end. This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted. By the way, just a side note. The opposite of humility is pride. And what does a prideful heart look like? It taunts a lot. It boasts a lot. It talks about how, 
how great a person like you are. Like, for instance, if you ever in your job described how great you are, ever done that? Just you might be like, no, I haven't. Really? Do you remind people where you work just how blessed they are to even have you there? I mean, you ever, or better yet, have you ever just thought that and just walked in and just thought, you know what? They are lucky to have me here, right? Pride. But the kindness of God's before is warning us right now, isn't he? Verse 11. And the Lord will be awesome against them. Now, by the way, he just went west. He just went east. And now he takes a step back and goes global. Sometimes when you read the prophets, they're talking about something that's coming immediately. And then sometimes they're pointing to the final days of the Lord. He kind of takes a step back in verse 11. He says this. The Lord will be awesome against them. For he will famish all the gods of the earth. Now he goes global. He's looking towards the end. The final day of the Lord. There's the day of the Lord that comes in their day. And the day of the Lord that's going to come at the final when the Lord comes back. He says, he will famish all the gods of the earth. All the idols of the earth. And to him shall bow down each in its place. All the lands of the nations. Everywhere. By the way. Hold a spot right there and turn back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I do want to put your eyes on this. So he basically says, I'm judging the West, the Philistines, and judging the East, Moab, Ammonites, Judah, just remember this. They're not getting any of God's kindness of his before. Now, also, I'm going to judge the whole earth. Like, not only is the Middle East mine, Yahweh is saying, like, it's all mine. Okay? It's all mine. He says, basically, the rest of the earth is worshiping idols. And when I come, I'm going to take care of all that. You know, an idol is anything we love more than Jesus. We're not, we don't usually, like, throw our gold into a fire and out pops a calf. But we're big into worshiping other things. And you're like, how do I know that? Well, what do you think about most? Like, what do you think about most? For most of us, it's money. Like, money's not evil, just loving it is. Right? Or we fantasize about a way that we want people to treat us. A respect we want from people. Look in verse 4, I love this. That idolatry. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything that I can't stop thinking of is an idol. Anything that I give all my love is an idol. That's from a Jimmy, a Jimmy Needham song from years ago. I like what verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 8 says this. Therefore, as to eating a food offered to idols, he says, we know this. An idol has no real existence, and there is no God but one. So I love. The idols that we worship are not even real. They're not even real. We're giving them reality when we worship them. Like, they are just our imagination. They're, like, that, that love of money, that we've made that idol. That money has no power in above itself. The only power it has is the power we give it. And that goes with anything. What's great about the one true God is there's no imagination to him. He is what he is. Now, bump back over to Zephaniah. So he says, I'm going to, like Judah, I'm doing it with the Philistines on the west, Moab and Ammonites on the east, they're not going to experience the kindness of mine before. Also, the, the whole of all nations, of all the globes someday, that bow down to any other God except me. Yes, God is exclusive. That the worship of him, 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Yes, it is exclusive. And yes, there is only one way to God. And no, you cannot buffet line your way into heaven. It cannot be, I like Jesus and let me just throw whatever else I want on the plate. You can't do that. He Read the Bible. He does not share at all. That's one thing God does not dare do. He does not share worship. Now, look at this. Verse 12. He now goes south. You also, O Cushites, the Cushites were from, from Ethiopia, and they had a conquering power during this time of Egypt, and they were a world power, so they were south of Judah. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword. So he basically says, there's no kindness of God's before for the Cushites for basically Egypt. By the way, just a side note, when you look at the original text in Hebrew, that shall be, that that verb is not there, that's supplied by the translators. I actually think at this time, because it's Josiah, I think actually God had already broken the back of the Cushites in Egypt because the Cushites in Egypt were beat out by Syria about 20 years before this. So I think even the original text, it would have been this idea of, hey, Judah, well, God's already done some to the Philistines through you, he's going to keep doing, and, and with the Edomites... And the Moabites in the future with the globe in the future. But you've already seen God do this with the Cushites in Egypt. And then we go over here to verse 13. Remember we read the book of Nahum? Nahum was about God's judgment that's going to come on the Assyrians, on Nineveh. Look at verse 13. He says, don't forget, it's still going to happen against the north. Assyria is north. It's actually northeast. But the way you get you from Judah... The way you would get to Assyria would be a northeast passage. Uh, the way the mountainous route would go, that's how you basically kind of went north and then you went east. But yet he basically describes Assyria to the north. Now, just so you understand, when he says Assyria, Assyria was kind of the United States of America in that day, meaning it was the greatest superpower on the planet. And remember, about 20 years before, they were at the pinnacle when they had, con- when they had beat out the Cushites, conquered Thebes, took control of Egypt, so they were the major world-dominant power, but they're quickly on a downward slide. But yet when he writes this, this is an incredible thing for him to say. When he says this, he's saying, Judah, watch out. Even Assyria, who by man's eyes seems like impossible to overthrow, so much military power, known world out that no one could conquer the Assyrians, there's no more kindness of God's before for them. Look in verse 13. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. Nahum already said it. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like a desert. Decimated. It was one of the most beautiful cities of the Orient. Decimated. In fact, when Alexander the Great came in, he barely knew he was in Nineveh when he conquered that area. It had been so decimated. How decimated? Look what it says. It'll become a dry waste like a desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst. All kinds of beasts... Even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. Basically, the animals are going to take over. If if a city gets vacated, the animals take over and multiply, right? And some of you know that. So, for instance, if any of you have been wanting to kind of prepare to take a vaccine, I would uh, recommend that you watch the movie I Am Legend. All right, that'll kind of help you prepare for that. And you're going to see all the... (laughs) Don't do that. All right, that'll probably mess you up. 
Or unless you like to do that kind of stuff, right? Now you're going to go home and watch this, all right? Don't tell them Pastor Nick recommended. But you saw in that movie that basically wherever society was vacated, what happens? Like the animals come in and kind of take over all the territory. So he says, this is going to be Nineveh. It's going to be so decimated. I love this in verse 14. The voice shall hoot in the window. The owl, instead of him being out on the branch, your your house is going to be so destroyed and your window is just kind of gone that, that the owl is just going to kind of sit and hoot right there in your windowsill. Devastation shall be on the threshold, for her cedar work shall be laid bare. It was known as being one of the with a magnificent built-up cedar-worked cities. It was known for having a great forest industry surrounding it. Gone. This is the exultant city that lived securely. Assyria, uh, Nineveh thought it was secure, but not when God's before had run out. Here's what Nineveh said in its heart. I am and there is no one else. I am and there is no one else. That's the ultimate pride of a heart. I am and there is no one else. So this is, he's telling Judah, Judah, would you learn from the example? Like we should learn from this example. We should learn from the example of the scriptures. Like learn what God's character is like. What a desolation Assyria has become. A lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes their fists. They, they see the judgment of God on Assyria. So here's what he does. He goes west, east, south, north, the globe. He basically says, the kindness of God's before, it, it will not be seen by the rest of the globe. Now, you may be wondering, Nick, I really like point one and two. There was some good news in that because he, he told the nation to gather and prepare and we can do that. And then there's, you know, in the second point, you kind of talked about seeking the Lord and the humility and like we, we can get some of God's before as his people. But wow, way to go, Nick. You really landed on a dark moment here that there seems to be no kindness of God's before for all these other nations around it. But there is some good news in all that. And, and here's what it is. When, when Zephaniah is writing this, these nations to the east, to the west, to the north and the south, they're not reading all this, okay? But God's people are. And the very fact that God's people are here reading it it's an opportunity for before to happen. And here's the good news. If you're online or you're here and you've never bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord and King of your life, God's before is right before you right now. Like, here's the good news. You don't have to go the way of Assyria or Moab or any of these other nations. You get to, right now, the kindness of God is meeting you. You've gathered. If you're online, you've gathered. You're here. God's confronting you. That your sins deserve the judgment of God. You deserve to suffer the judgment of hell for your sins. But Jesus on the cross suffered that wrath in your place. And by faith, through his grace, you can call out to him today and take communion with us. Then let's get you baptized after that in obedience to him. Let's get you on the road to following him. But even if you're here today as God's people, there's good news in this. Because here's the deal. All these pagan nations didn't get to hear this message of Zephaniah in this text. It was for God's people. And for God's people today, whatever sin is weighing you down, the kindness of God's before is sitting right in our laps. And this is a great day. We're going to sing in a moment. And we're going to prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. Great time to confess your sin to God. Great time to get on the phone and confess your sin to someone else that you've sinned against and they know it. Great time to lean over. Great time to come to the Lord. Great time 
that if you're kind of like, people sometimes say, can I take communion if I have sin in my life? Well, well, yeah, because everybody sins. It's just not for people who are resistant. But if you're kind of like, man, I am struggling. I feel like I'm two steps forward, one step back. I'm, I'm trying, man, I'm trying. I'm, trying. I'm, coming. I'm coming, I'm trying. Like, take communion. You need to remember the body and blood of Christ. You need to remember that the good news has helped you to, to be freed from sin and that sin no longer has power over you. And the only power sin has over you is the power you give it. The only power an idol has over you is the power you decide to give that dead idol. That's how it works. And this is the kindness of God, the good news for us, even in this text. These pagan nations didn't get it, but God's people, Judah, got to read it, and it was an example for them. Will you do this? Will you stand to your feet? Let's prepare our souls to have a time of edifying each other, a time of taking the Lord's Supper, enjoying the kindness of God, taking some time to take the Lord's Supper and rehearsing the kindness of God. What a privilege. Would you pray with me? I'm delighted to have your word. And the kindness of God, as Romans says, draws me to repentance. Lord, would you let us take a moment to examine ourselves, to block out all the white noise that happens in our world right now at this moment. So thankful. You get to deliver us from the smartphones and the distractions. Let us take an honest inventory of repentance. Take an honest inventory of the bad news of our sin. Repent and come to the good news. Let someone come to Christ right now, online, here. Let them call out to you. Let them take communion with us. Let this be what we need to experience your kindness in this moment. Thank you for delivering people here to hear this who needed to be delivered. Some of us honestly need to be delivered. We are so weighed down that it's a shameless nation in our life. There's secret pockets that we know aren't what you want, but we've been bowing down before that secret idol that no one knows about but you and us. What a kindness that right now we can deal with that. Thank you. Show yourself powerful in our next few moments as we sing and edify and take the Lord's Supper together. Let's do that together, God's people. In Jesus' name, amen.